Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to And so for this month and this month only, you can become a CanadaLand supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. Owning real estate is okay. I do. You need some place to keep the ammo in the Hummer. But this isn't the time to jump in. Above all, remember that the media is not your friend. The only oracle of truth and miraculous guidance, omniscient, omnipotent, and omnivorous, is this pathetic blog. Those are the words of blogger and former member of parliament, Garth Turner. Turner was a progressive conservative leadership candidate, a cabinet minister, almost once a Green Party candidate, and then briefly an MP in Stephen Harper's government before he was booted out and ran as a liberal on Stéphane Dion's ticket and lost. These days, Garth Turner is a financial advisor and a blogger. His site, The Greater Fool, dispenses real estate analysis. Full disclosure, I kind of like it. And I usually do not like real estate journalism, which is something we have an awful lot of. I also kind of like Garth Turner, despite the fact that on his blog, he regularly predicts that debt-loaded homeowners like me will soon be financially ruined. 
And I like him despite the fact that during our interview, he kept kicking the table with his cowboy boots, which he wore to my studio under a very expensive-looking Bay Street business suit. I apologize in advance for the thumps. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Jim Roepk, John Baglau, Teresa Lemieux, Jacob, Francois, Robert Peltier, Ian McDonald, and Evan Radford. Evan, why did you decide to be awesome? Because Canada Land um, asks the tough questions of the Canadian media industry, and it informs the public of how that industry works and where it needs to improve. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, It's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is also brought to you by our founding sponsor, FreshBooks. It's tax time. People, get on it. Get FreshBooks. This is cloud-based accounting software for non-accountants, for small businesses, for entrepreneurs. Here are some things about FreshBooks that other people really like, but I never really need to use. I only talk about the things that I use. There are other features to FreshBooks that maybe you can use. It's very easy to send an estimate using FreshBooks. If you have billable hours, if you if you charge for your time and not by the gig or by the unit, but by your, your time, you can track your time very easily and elegantly using FreshBooks. This really is a remarkable homegrown Canadian company. There are 5 million people in the world using FreshBooks because they just, they solved it. This is the solution if you are running a small business or if you are self-employed and you need accounting, invoicing, time tracking expense tracking software. It's freshbooks.com. Go to freshbooks.com slash Canada land. Try it out for free for 30 days. If you become a customer, tell them that Canada land sent you and you will be doing the show a favor. Thank you. Freshbooks. So what are we talking about anyway? 
I don't know. Let's talk. Let's. Uh, you're an interesting guy. I couldn't figure out where to start. Yeah. Okay. You were a newspaper guy originally. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I was in print for uh, a long period of time, and uh, you know, wrote books. Well, it was interesting. I was in print, and then I got more to be sort of a financial recognized as a financial voice. Then I lost my mind and went into politics. Like that was in the eighties, right? So that was interesting. I spent like six years doing that, got my ass booted out. And then went back into journalism, um, actually landed, landed up in electronics. So I did TV for a while. That went okay. And then I wrote a few books, and then people wanted me to go around the country and talk to people. So I did that, kept my foot in electronic stuff, wrote a bunch more books, and uh, did programming for CTV and Global and a whole bunch of people. Then I decided I'd start an internet broadcasting company and bought a truck and put a wireless studio in and did that. That was kind of cool. Then ultimately, I lost my mind again, went back into politics. I'm a slow learner, right? And so I went back into politics, got my ass kicked by uh, Stephen Harper, whom I did not get along with, and then uh, ended up back uh, homeless on the streets, wandering, wondering what to do, and decided I'll become a blogger. So I became a blogger and then a financial advisor, and I am now. And I mean, I'm just one of those guys. I'm like a cockroach. You don't kill me, you know? You say that a lot on your blog, homeless under under a bridge behind Timmy's. Yeah. Uh, it's your self-disparaging way of basically explaining why you're a blogger after being a federal minister. With all respect to the homeless, you've never been a homeless uh, blogger. <laughs> Well, no, but, you know, I, I try not to take myself too seriously. I mean, that's, especially when you've been in politics a couple of times, like people end up, you know, they've the biggest carrot up their ass after they've been in politics and they think they really matter, but you don't, you know, you only matter if the people make you matter. And at the end of the day, they get tired of you and toss you out and... So you're just on your own. You always have to have your survival skills. And one of the best ways of getting by in life is to have a, you know, self-deprecating sense of humor and you don't take anything too seriously. And you understand the most valuable commodity in life is time. So make the most of it, right? So I'm a big guy for like doing different experiences. I've had a very erratic career path. The things I've wanted to do, I've gone and done them as opposed to sort of stepping your way up a ladder, but it's worked for me. But then again, you know, I'm like, I don't know, Jesse, I'm probably 25, 30 years older than you, right? So it was a different time that I grew up in, and you kind of make the most of the era that you're in. Yeah, but your career path actually sounds like a millennials, multidisciplinary, <laughs> entrepreneurial, take a little bit of this, do a little of that. It's, it, it hasn't yeah. been a straight line. You're a hustler, Garth Turner, yeah, you're a hustler. Yeah, well, I don't mind that. I like living sort of on the edge and you know, taking a risk is fine. I don't mind that as long as it's calculated and you kind of have a good idea where you're going. But, you know, like, again, you know, going to politics is a really weird thing to do. And I'm not recommending it for anybody, but it was great experience for me. I really enjoyed the ability to do that and see that part of life. And it, it really helps when you get out, it gives you better perspective on what the current crop of guys in there are doing and what they're facing and what they're thinking and the ultimate compromises they have to make, like our, you know, our heroic Mr. Selfie Prime Minister here, you know, is going to be facing so many compromises over the next few years. Uh -huh. Going to make his head spin. 
We'll talk about that in a bit. But first, uh, tell me about the time Stephen Harper fired you. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? There was 13 years between first being elected and second being elected. So for when I was first elected, it was like, yeah, I'm going to, this is great. You know, I'm going to work with my team and like try and change the world. And then the second time I got elected, it was like, hey, you know what? I matured. I've aged. I have a different perspective on things. I was really much more of a fundamental uh, Democrat when I got elected the second time. Like, I really believe that what people want, they ought to get. And the role of a member of parliament should be to go to Ottawa and tell the powers that be what your constituents actually want, right? And try and get there. So you're a true blue representative of, of your constituents. Tell me about the time Stephen Harper Pretty fired much. you. Yeah. So, I mean, that was like from day one, that was not going down with Mr. Harper, right? And like Harper's idea of a good MP was you go to Ottawa and then you go back home and tell people what he wants. Uh-huh. That was his idea. Well, we didn't get along. And then I decided, you know what? I'm going to use some of the new technologies. So I'm going to blog. Uh, and there were no, there's no MP that was blogging. Like he was just unheard of. So I started a daily blog, right? They didn't ask anyone's permission. I just did it. And it was great. had a big following. And that was kind of interesting. And then, oh, my God, my cardinal sin, I decided I would start a web, uh, a web-based uh, service. I called it MPTV. So, you know, I, I got one of my staffers with a little camera running around behind me. And I went and interviewed like MPs from all different parties, you know, liberals and Elizabeth May, the Green Party and all these conservatives, everybody, right? Like, what do you got? Why? What brought you here? You're a socialist from Saskatchewan. Like, what are you? What are you doing here? What's your agenda? And so I did pieces like that and broadcast them. And I thought the more people understand what's going on up in this place, the cooler it'll be. Well, Mr. Harper hated that one, I'll tell you. And there is no way that I should be giving a platform to anybody who wasn't wearing the team sweater. So at the end of the day, we buttered heads. He called me into his office, said, you know what, if you're a good boy, I'm going to give you a a prize, right? I'm going to give you some big appointment. And I said, well, not really. That's okay. I'm happy doing what I'm doing. And um, so then he threatened me. Um, and I said, fine. I'm not bowing. I'm not acquiescing. I'm here to do what I feel is correct. You write, you write about this confrontation in detail. And you write that he had specific words for you as a journalist turned politician. Yeah, you know, that was really an interesting turn of phrase. He said, he said a couple of things. One is, uh, you know, I don't need a star in my caucus, so forget that. And number two, um, you were a journalist. <laughs> you know what? Journalists make lousy politicians. They think they always have to tell the truth. So that was kind of a telling statement. And uh, so that meeting didn't go well. And shortly thereafter, I was, of course, banished. So banished to the back row. And then my office was taken away and I was given this crappy outfit, like every little stupid thing that most Canadians wouldn't care about. Oh, the poor guy has now got a crappy office. Like no one cares, right? Except it just is a diminishment in that hierarchy, that place. And that high school playground. Right, where rug ranking is important, right? You know, and all these little things matter. So it was really vindictive and petty of the guy. And I thought, man, this is a, this is a man who has a, a really small capacity for criticism. So We just met, but you don't strike me as a stupid man. 
<laughs> you can't pretend to be surprised that Stephen Harper would react that way to you starting a blog and putting MPs from other. This is the most tightly media controlled prime mm-hmm. minister that yeah, well, anyone can remember. Yeah, so you you true. knew you were tweaking his nose. Yeah, I tweak tweaking a bit, but you can always you can always hope. Listen, when I was the first time I went to went into politics, Mulroney was the prime minister, and I was a little bit of a pain in the ass then, right? It's just kind of who I am. What his his solution to Garth Turner being a pain in the ass was to take me and put me in charge of like a fairly important committee, right? So now I had a job. The guy got it. And through my job, I could then generate reports and do research and have witnesses and hearings and kind of move policy issues along that I wanted to. And that was fine. So that was a good solution. Harper's solution is to shame you Mm -hmm. and make you stand in the corner with a dunce hat on your head. And that doesn't work for a guy like me. And I don't think it works for very many people. So at the end of the day, after eight years of him being in office, you know what happened, right? He was banished, and it's going to take a long, long time for his reputation to be rehabilitated. And I think it is really a character flaw. We all have them, but I think that's one of his. It's an interesting one to study because the kind of uh, authoritative rule and the way he whipped MPs, and it was effective. He was an effective legislator. Mm -hmm. He got his way on a lot of different things, and I think he pointed out – Kind of a central weakness, uh, not just of, of his own people, but of ca- Canadians, that we will bend over for a bully, you know? Yeah, uh, well. To, to we, a certain extent. We, he, he was able to really bulldoze for a long time. Yeah, yep. And then there was a – it, it kind of whipped back in his face yeah, pretty hard. Yeah, it did. I think we have a really unhealthy relationship with the government. We, we've had it for a long time where the expectations of our leaders are so low that we feel that we don't even expect an MP in general to bother having town hall meetings or do a blog or care what I think. They just keep sending you propaganda in the mail every week and tell you what to think. I think it's been a really unhealthy um, relationship. Maybe one thing that's good about Justin, that's a lot I don't like, but maybe there's a really good thing in the fact that he has connected more, especially with, you know, more of the demographic younger than me. But that's good. That's a good thing. If we get people more engaged and involved and they have higher expectations of government, they'll maybe hold government more to account, which is better than just ignoring it. Maybe. Something that I've talked about on the show, just watching the way he's been handling the press in the short time that he's been in office, it's almost a, a completely opposite tactic to the same ends. Yeah. It's interesting you mentioned the town hall because he's been doing a ton of them. In fact, he won't give one-on-one interviews with Canadian journalists unless it's in sort of a, a town hall setting or with Mansbridge. It was after they had all these Canadians interview him. And you know, I know from people who've been involved in this, he gets there, he works the room before the interview. He's taken selfies with everybody in the crowd. He whips them up into kind of a rock star frenzy. Mm-hmm. The journalist on stage is kind of getting smaller and smaller. Mm-hmm. Finally, he sits down next to the journalist and says, okay, grill me. Mm-hmm. And it's a hard thing to do mm-hmm. when yeah. the room is being seduced that way. Yeah, he's a smart guy. He's a smart guy. He knows, like, well, he was born into, on stage, right? I mean, he was born into this public life. He gets it. He knows how to work a crowd. He watched his dad do it. He's been involved in his entire life in being larger than life. 
look at the legacy we've had, you know, from Ronald Reagan to uh, Donald Trump, right? I mean, the, the cult of celebrity works if you know how to use it. I think he does. But you have to hold those people to even maybe a higher standard uh, of accountability. You can't just have someone who's cool mm-hmm. and that's enough to be a good leader. And I think right now the the cool factor, the leaning on the Endeavor snowboard and all this jetting around the world and all that kind of stuff, he's got to be careful about that. You know, this the, the, you need to cross the line from, you know, image through to substance. And uh, we'll see March 22nd. we got a big budget coming up. We'll kind of see what happens in there. I'm a little disappointed already that, you know, we're going to go from mo- a modest deficit per year to something that's probably going to be triple that. And man, if I were somebody in my 20s or 30s right now and I looked at a government getting right back onto that, you know, river of red ink that we were on for so many years, I'd be a little despairing about it. I guess people voted for a deficit, though not to that extent. I think people just want to see what they get in exchange for it. Yeah, but I'm not sure they kind of understand, you know, deficits today are taxes tomorrow. And, you know, I know a lot of people today, they have no problem with a tax and spend government. You know, I do. I'm kind of a little right of center. I think that, you know, the more governments spend, the more we become dependent on the public teat. And at the end of the day, that's a pretty expensive life to have. I don't want to live in Norway. I don't want a 27% GST. Sorry. You ran as a liberal. Yeah, well, I'm kind of malleable. <laughs> I am malleable. but You, you know, once considered to run as a green, so I guess you're pretty well, malleable. I, I, I don't know. Elizabeth May is pretty persuasive. but And I do, you know, I'm in kind of environmental background too, so I don't mind considering that. But at the end of the day, I'm kind of a centrist guy, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think you should be too far right, too far left. These social conservatives are nuts. The Bernie Sanders of the world are nuts. Well, that used to be a pretty standard kind of Democrat. Yeah, we used to have people on the left governing. Sure, we didn't always end in catastrophe. No, it didn't always. But you know, that doesn't mean I have to believe in it. I'm more of a centrist guy. I think that's the way that you get the best government. You know, we've had centrist governments. I don't know. People in the twenties and the thirties, they think have been left out of the cold. So they're you know they're looking for things on either side of the spectrum. We haven't had a centrist government for a while. Okay. No? Oh, it's been a while. I mean, maybe Gretchen was. He was the little right of center. Maybe he was. But it's been a long time since I think we've had a truly centrist government. So there's a lot of people now in their 20s and 30s who actually have never really been politically aware when there has been one, right? So, uh, yeah, I think they need to try it again. All right, enough of this boring politics. I want yeah, to talk right. to you about real estate. Let's oh. get to the real. <laughs> ah, yeah. You use a term on your blog consistently. House horny. Mm. And, uh, you know, I, I like reading your blog. I've been enjoying it. I read it. I, like, that's the part. I always read that. And I'm like, oh, like, I, I feel the same way when my dad says horny. Like, Don't say horny, you know. And then <laughs> I read this Globe and Mail headline. I'm going to read this to you. This is from uh, this week. Canadian Mortgage and Housing Corporation revs up hunt for foreign flows into torrid housing market. Mm-hmm. That's like porn. Mm, isn't it? Yeah, I know. Torrid flows. It gets me moving. <laughs> yeah. uh, it was a pretty house horny headline. Yeah, it is. Well, you know, it's become more mainstream. You know, stuff I've talked about for a few years is definitely getting a little more mainstream. You know, I started worrying about this a number of years ago when the U.S. was in sort of the post-apocalyptic stage. 2008, 2009, and I really saw the same sort of sentiment building in Canada that had destroyed the U.S. in 2005, 2006, where people really got house crazy, right? 
And I think 2008, 2009, when the stock market melted down and everybody thought we were going to end up, you know, shooting pigeons in the park and cooking them at night, that we started to get this real aversion for financial assets. We didn't trust them. And the Madoff came along and Wall Street fell apart and everybody thought, oh, man, there's no way I'm going there. So we got this rekindling of this Canadian dream that had been house, houses, right? And it became more extreme. Interest rates went down to the lowest point, like since the Second World War. So money was really cheap and debt was easy. Government started to say, instead of like stimulus spending, like we're seeing now, it was like, you know what, we'll drop interest rates and make houses really easy to buy. People will cook themselves into debt and they'll stimulate the economy through their purchases. That was basically the Harper wave. Remember their home renovation tax credit? Yeah. That was just a classic example of let's make people even more uh, focused on this one asset. And they'll go out and borrow a whole bunch of money at Home Depot, redo their bathroom, and that'll be great. That'll create jobs. We won't need to worry about it. So that was the strategy that Canada used to get out of the 2008-2009 mess, this incredibly low interest rates. Well, it took off and it's backfired now. Not all across the country, but certainly in the GTA and, and Vancouver, it's backfired totally. And now we have houses people can't afford. And the more expensive houses get, the fewer come on the market because people say to their spouses, hey, honey, why would we sell? We're going to have to buy back in. We can't afford to buy our own house anymore. Mm -hmm. So listings go down. Demand keeps going up. Young people, there's no way that they can get into housing now with the costs unless it's crap housing somewhere. And you just end up with a whole bunch of negative consequences. Houses cost too much. Money is too cheap. There's too much debt in the country. And there's a generational war going on because all the boomers have all the good houses and young people can't get in and they never see a path ahead. This has not been good social policy. Is this a reflection of social policy or is this some people said, you know, what Toronto real estate is, is undervalued. There's people piling into this city every year. Not everybody. You know, oh, yeah, it's unfortunate that you can't afford a house, but you can't afford a house in New York. People rent. It's fine. And this is the actual legitimate value of, of the homes. Right. This is just where it should be. Yeah, well, two ways to look into that. One, number one is everybody expects a house, and we we are now in a time of entitlement. So people expect when they get married, uh, they're going to get a house. How is that new? Well, it's not new, but it's it's not a time of entitlement. Is that like it's some entitled millennial spiel? Like everybody expected. I think everybody expected in a Western democracy, affluent society, that you don't have to be a white collar professional if you're a working person. Yeah, but you should you, have, you know, you'll own your house. Yeah, you I, I'm just arguing against what I said a second ago. But, sure, but in these major cities, it's a different story. Well, but that, I was that's, gonna that's say, a, if you live in Peterborough, fine. Yeah. Okay, you'll get a house, and it won't be a big deal. You want to have a house in 416 in downtown Toronto? You want a, you know, a nice house on the west side of Vancouver? Forget it. Ain't going to happen. Because we have had a maturation of Canadian cities, for sure. There's been a little more of a globalization. Yeah, it's happened. But these cheap interest rates have really been the number one catalyst for driving prices higher. The lower the cost of money the higher the asset value goes. It's a mathematical formula. Once interest rates start coming up again, the value of the asset will go down. It'll become more affordable in dollar terms, but the monthly payments become more. How does that bubble burst? Because it's not based on the same kind of ridiculous loans that they were giving in the States. That's never been allowed here. So you've been basically a, a doomsayer that it's all going to come crashing down. How's I don't that going to happen? Gonna, I don't think it's going to crash. I think it's going to disappoint a lot of people 
people. I think the markets will flatline and then they will gradually decline over a period of time. A lot of young people don't remember the last real estate crash in Toronto, but it really started about 1989 and went through, really hit hard in 1991. So if you bought a house around 1990 and we were at all-time high prices in Toronto, you bought a house in 1990, you never got your money back for 14 years. So like that seems ridiculous now. How could mm -hmm. that possibly happen? Because things go up every year. That's all I know. Well, we're in an aberrant time. Interest rates will likely not go much lower, if at all. If they do, we're in trouble because it means the economy is really sick if rates go lower. So ultimately, they will go higher and ultimately asset prices will come down. So people buying today in Toronto or Vancouver, I mean, I think they're taking on a huge amount of risk. I think there's more downside than upside risk. Let's talk about the role the media plays in this because yeah, you, right. you, you talked a lot about the, I mean, real estate coverage has mm -hmm. become a mainstay. Absolutely. And uh, that headline I, I, I read you, I mean, that has to do with that they're starting to try to hunt down these mainland Chinese new, right. the new money that's parking, uh, you know, in, well, we can in talk supposedly stable Canadian real estate and the effect that that's having. But most of the real estate coverage is lifestyle reporting. Yeah. We can talk about foreign dollars in a minute. That's another whole interesting story. As far as the mainstream media goes, it's dying. It is dying a death. Slow, painful, certain, and the end is completely uh, known to us. And I say that as a guy who's been around, it's not my first rodeo, okay? So I was a print journalist for years, daily newspaper columnist, magazine columnist, uh, talking head on the nightly news. Like, I've done all this stuff, right? I've worked for most of the major media outlets. I've written 17 books, but you know what? I'm never going to write another book and I'm never going to be on, on TV again. The reason is nobody cares. It's gone. It's done. So all of the excitement and the media communication that means anything has gone online. And that's where I want to be. And that makes more sense. So the Globe and Mail right now is struggling for relevance. And the fact that you're seeing a real estate story on the front page like three days a week, if not more, it's just porn. It's just it's just candy. It's it's there to suck people in for something they know that they care about. And it's working to a certain extent. So, But I, I just think that the media is being disingenuous about it. I mean, I make fun of global TV all the time. These guys are the biggest. It's amazing, right? They just, hey, oh, let's do a real estate story and we'll interview some guy from Royal LePage. And that's the whole story, right? Uh -huh. And there's no balance. There's no uh, attempt to actually inform people of the of the risks that are involved. It's like, you know, let's do a story on uh, RBC stock and let's go, you know, interview an, an analyst from one of the brokerage houses and he'll tell us if it's a good idea or not. Of course he's going to tell you it's a good idea, right? Because the guy's bread is buttered yeah. by people who go and buy this stuff. And so I just think the mainstream media has been pretty uh, disgraceful in its coverage of real estate. And it definitely has helped whip up this visceral emotion, this desire that people have to invest all of their money in one asset. What about the investigative work? It's not all uh, house porn. Uh, Kathy Tomlinson of the Globe and Mail recently did an investigation into this uh, assignment scheme that's happening in Vancouver mm -hmm. where somebody sells their house. 
I don't know, for a million dollars, then the person who, the, the, the realtor might even go out and during the closing period, sell it for a million point two, flip it again, a million, like shadow flipping. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did uh, some, some pretty extensive work uncovering yeah. that. Yeah, but it's a non-story. I mean, yeah, they made a big it deal. It was a story. I read it. It was there. Yeah, but it was a non-story. Like, uh, so? Well, because assignments in Toronto are like de rigueur. You, mm-hmm. There are only, like, there's three ways of buying a condo in Toronto. You buy it from plans, you buy it from the owner, you buy it through an assignment clause. There are whole websites that do nothing but sell condos on assignment. There are brokerages and real estate people that do nothing but specialize in assignments, and they make no... They don't pretend that they're doing something else. They don't call it shadow. It's just the Globe and Mail discovered assignment selling and said, oh, my <laughs> God, there's people who sell ass- have assignment clauses. It's completely 100% legal. Yeah. It happens every day of the week. And just some you know, wet-behind-the-ears reporter never heard about it before. It's, oh, my God, this is actually they can buy a house, have an assignment clause in. The person who's selling it gets every single dollar they were expecting to get on the day of closing, yeah. but it might go and close again three months later to another buyer for more. Isn't that awful? Because the first buyer could have been even more greedy than they were anyway with this windfall profit. <laughs> That's consumer uh, affairs journalism in, in this day and age, is you could have you could have gotten even richer. Yeah. I take your point that there was no great revelation there, but I think it is their job to take something that is, even if it's common, even if it's uh, legit, but that isn't widely understood or known, a general interest newspaper ah, sure. is in the business of explaining that. There's nothing wrong with it, but you know, it's just more... F- Another log on the fire where people want to blame others for what they've done to themselves. So you've got assignment clauses. Ah, It's all because of these bloody realtors and their shadow flipping. That's why I can't afford a house on the west side of Vancouver. No, no, no. It's because of the Chinese dudes who are coming in with their bags of money. That's why you can't afford it. Well, the reality is we are in the most speculative frenzy in Canadian history over any asset. This has never been equaled before except maybe with Nortel and the dot-com thing in 2000. That was the last time we had a speculative frenzy where people bought stock in companies making no money because it was cool. Now people are buying houses. They'll never, they're, they're taking huge amounts of risk on because you know what? It's great. I own this house. You know what? That makes me important. Well, I got to live somewhere. Yeah. Right? There's only so much acreage. I mean, the condo thing is another story, but there's only so much, so many square feet in Toronto. It's not Nortel stock. It's not, it's not going to necessarily disappear into the ether, right? Um, well, yeah, maybe. <laughs> You go buy a five, give me hope, guys. I'm 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 implicated oh, in this. Topic. Go go buy a 500 square foot condo in a glass tower downtown Toronto, with glass walls that have about a 12 year lifespan, and you come back and tell me how things are looking when you're 45. Okay, they're not going to look happy at all. You got a special assessment for thirty five thousand dollars. You can't sell your condo unit because it's got a special assessment against it. You can't pay the thirty five thousand bucks, so you have to amortize it over the next 15 years of condo payment. Man, you are in a box prison in the sky. You can have it. There's risk. Wow. You're a homeowner, yeah? Yeah, I own real estate. I always have. I love real estate. It's interesting, fascinating. But I always want in my own life, and I try and preach it to others, balance. Big word, balance. So it's cool to have real estate. Just don't put all your net worth in one one thing. Yeah. 
I, it's it's complicated. You know, I think that you're right that along with their jogging stories, or I'm sorry, running stories, the Globe and Mail has been pimping the real estate frenzy. At the same time, they've got Rob Carrick giving steady advice to young yep. people saying, don't get into this. Yep. Seems yep. like your advice would be like, like to me, I, so I'm, I'm a... Uh, late 30s, uh, many years ahead of me, no real pension to speak of, two small kids living in a townhouse in Toronto, mm-hmm. sell. That would be your advice to me. Get out now. Like, it ain't getting not much better than this. No, not, not necessarily. If, you've, if you're in real estate that's not consuming you and killing you and draining you. I got a house I couldn't out. buy right now if yeah. I had to buy my own house. Yep, yep. That's that's quite true, true for a lot of people. Yeah. But no, if you're getting by, that, that's fine. You do have to have a place to live. You've got a family. There are other obligations. Mm-hmm. You know, I would just say to you, I hope that you're, you know, focusing a little bit too on trying to keep your TFSA full up and get it in growth assets that are going to support you 30 years from now, right? We'll talk later more about yeah. this. I'll get some free advice before we're done. <laughs> okay. Are we heading for ruin on a on a national scale here in this country? No, I think we're we're headed for uh, trouble in a in a couple of markets. Now, I think Toronto, less so Vancouver, is very, very risky right now. And I can see Vancouver uh, ending up in BC being in a, a total economic funk in a couple of years. So I think they've they've really pushed the envelope too far. You're seeing an unwinding in a lot of markets right now. Um, I wrote the other day about supply of houses. Like in, in Toronto, it's like 41-day supply of houses right now, which is really extreme. So there aren't many to buy. Vancouver, it's 51. Montreal, 440 days. That's how long a house sits on the market? Yeah. Well, if we continue to consume houses at the current monthly sales rate, Uh aid into the number of available homes, you'd be out of homes in 41 days. That's what a supply means. Okay. So 41 days in Toronto. Gotcha now. 51 in Vancouver. Uh Uh-huh. 440 in Montreal. Montreal is the second biggest real estate and population market in the country. 10 times more houses available. And they're so much nicer. And the average price is 30% of what it is in Toronto. Yeah. There's a correlation not only between the cost of money and the price of assets, which we talked about a moment ago, but also between supply and demand. And right now you've got prices in Toronto and Vancouver going up because demand is exceeding supply. All right, that will change. That will change. People yeah. think it's never going to change, but man, trust me, it will. Look at Calgary. Okay, all of a sudden, you know, the economy goes to crap. There's a mono economy. It was what? It's very heavily dependent on the oil industry. Yeah, for sure. We have a more diversified economy in this in this town, right? Right, I know. But I use it as an example of where supply and demand can change quickly. Yeah. And all of a sudden, sales go down, listings go up. Yeah. And it's happened in Winnipeg and Saskatoon and Halifax and Montreal and Calgary to a little bit in Victoria. So Toronto and Vancouver are really exceptional markets. Most of the country, 70%. It's kind of stagnant, kind of they had their little pop and they're getting over it now. There were bidding wars in Saskatoon 24 months ago. Saskatoon, <laughs> who wants to live in Well, lots of people did, but not anymore. They learned their lesson. Winnipeg, Christ, 40, minus 40 half the year. People bidding wars in Winnipeg. Okay, not anymore. So these things pass and I think people need to understand. They need to be careful, again, not to take extreme positions. Garth Turner, thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you. Okay, that is your Canada Land Show. I hope you enjoyed it. You can email me always at jesse at canadalandshow.com. We are on Twitter at Canada Land. Our website is canadalandshow.com and our crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash canadaland. 
The next episode of Canada Land Commons will be up on Tuesday. The next episode of Shortcuts will be up on Thursday. I make this show with Katie Jensen. If you like what we do, please support us. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.